Welcome to One Chapel. We're a family of neighborhood churches in the Austin area. Our vision is to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. It's a place to connect, grow, and serve the communities where we live. You can learn more about One Chapel and how to get involved at onechapel.com. And now, here's this week's message. Well, today what we're doing is we're wrapping up a series, and it's a series that we've called Overwhelmed. If you've been here for the last several weeks, you'll know that we've talked about anxiety. We've, ta- we've talked about depression. We've talked about stress. Last week, we had a mental health expert come and speak to us, and it was awesome. And he has changed all of my conversations through the week. So now, anytime I talk to somebody and they ask me something, I just say, yeah. <laughs> Tell me more. It's awesome. It's been, really, it's been really good. If you weren't here, you're like, what's going on? Uh, don't worry about it. It's fine. But it really has been a great series. So if you missed any of the past weeks, please listen to the podcast, all right? Go back because I think they'll be helpful. Now, as we get started here, the ushers are here, and they've got some message notes. So if you didn't get those on the way in, just lift your hand up, please, real quick. They would be more than happy to get those to you so you can stay on track with where we're going today. Today, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to talk about something that's been called the dark night of the soul, Some of you, when I say that, you're thinking about Christopher Nolan. You're thinking about Batman movie. This is not anything to do with Batman. This is not about Batman. This is something completely different. And and this actually, it's not something that you're going to find chapter and verse throughout the scriptures. Like, it's not mentioned that way, the dark night of the soul in the scriptures. But it is something that's been extrapolated from the scriptures Uh, For centuries, actually, and theologians have discussed it and tossed around these ideas. The most famous is the 16th century Spanish friar, priest, and poet. His name is St. John of the Cross. And so today, as I talk about this, you might be on board. You might not quite be on board. And actually, some of you might actually find yourselves smack dab in the middle of one of these. And so we're going to talk about it today, and we're going to launch off from Psalm chapter 42. In verse 1, it says... As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night while people say to me all day long, where is your God? And these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. And I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Have you ever felt like this? Have you ever had a day, a month, a season where you've gone through what the psalmist is going through there? And so you're surrounded by a bunch of people, and it seems like they're all connecting with God and just having a great experience. 
And so this guy over here, he's smiling. And this lady over here, she's crying. She's weeping in the presence of God. And it seems like everybody in the room, they've got this direct connection to God and his presence. And you, you got nothing. You have nothing. You feel empty and distant. You have no sense of God's presence at all. In fact, when you think about God, it's more like a blank screen. And when you look up at him, it feels like there's just a wall between you and him. You just can't seem to break through. When you look down into your own soul, you find there's nothing there. It just feels like, a, like an empty wasteland. No sense of God's presence. And so you start thinking, well, maybe I'm just a crazy person. Like maybe it's just, it's, it's, it's just me. Or probably I'm just not a very good Christian like everybody else. Is it me? Is it my personality type? I started studying the Enneagram, and I knew I shouldn't have done that. God's presence just left me when I started studying it. Amen. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about, and it's actually a great tool, but uh, I kid. Is it my personality? Is it, is it my Myers-Briggs profile? Is this, what, is this what I'm destined for, or is it sin in my life? Is there something there that's blocking me? Do I just not read the Bible enough? I don't pray long enough? I don't do all the right things? Is God punishing me? I guess I'm just not as godly as everybody else around me. Maybe, it's, maybe this whole thing isn't for me. Or maybe worse than that, is God doing this? Like, is he mean and spiteful? I thought he was loving and compassionate, but I don't feel like I'm getting any of that. Or maybe he's not even out there. Maybe he's not even real. So is this whole thing just kind of made up in a figment of my imagination? There are times in all of our lives, I think, when God doesn't feel present. In fact, God feels absent and after a while of walking through that you start to feel overwhelmed and and you kind of feel like you're the only one that's experiencing this in life because everybody else seems to be doing great well what i want you to know this morning is you're not alone you're not alone you're not alone in feeling this way and even though you feel like something's wrong the reality is your current condition could actually be a vital stage in your journey with jesus he could really be taking you somewhere. And some theologians think that all of us may have to go through a period like this at some point in our journey. So it could be that you've experienced, you're experiencing what they've called the dark night of the soul. Now, that's weird terminology for some of us. For some of us, we can't disconnect from Batman. So we call it, maybe it's the desert. I feel like I'm walking through a desert. I feel like I'm wandering through a wilderness and I don't know what to do. Now, I confess to you, I'm, I'm no expert on this subject. And actually, across all of our campuses today, we're going to lean heavily into a teaching by a pastor named John Mark Comer. He's been very helpful in synthesizing this idea. But that's not to say that the dark night is not the only reason that you may not be experiencing the presence of God in your life. Like, as followers of Jesus, there are often several reasons, many reasons why we may not be feeling or sensing God's presence in your everyday life. One of them is just hurry. Hurry or busyness, or we might say in our age, digital distraction. <laughs> the reality is for many of us, the problem isn't that God's absent. The reality is we are absent. We're just running through life. We're on our phones. We're browsing social media. We're drowning in our Netflix queues. Does anybody actually go to Netflix and just push play and watch a show? I don't do that. I scroll for about 30, 40 minutes trying to pick something to watch. Anybody like me? And then by that time, oh, I got to go. And so I just scrolled, and my family's yelling at me, and we're in marriage counseling. So, 
But our lives are busy. You're stuck on 35 forever in traffic. We're overwhelmed at work. We're just busy all the time, busy. And then when we finally slow down long enough to actually put our phone down, to actually go to church, to pray, to be with some other believers, our minds are still moving at this frenetic pace, and we just can't seem to quiet it down. Dallas Willard, a great theologian, pastor, he said, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. I think that's true. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. And hurry is perhaps the number one enemy of the felt presence of God. Not the actual presence of God, but his felt or experienced presence. We're just moving too fast to slow down and notice that he's actually there present and moving. That's an idea for another day. Another thing that might keep us from feeling his presence is what we just call it sin. Sin, or as we define it at Callous Retreat, and as, as it, the word means, missing the mark. Missing what God has for your life. That's not something that we normally say in Austin. We don't go around the streets talking about sin, 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 sin. But, but it is New Testament language, and it is a reality for us. Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You could reverse engineer that verse, and it would say, Unhappy are the impure in heart, for they will not see God. Now, Jesus never actually said that, to be very clear. Uh, but that idea, it does run throughout the Bible. Runs throughout the scriptures on some level, and there's a reciprocal relationship between our experience with the felt presence of God and whether we are honoring or dishonoring God with our lives. So when we continue in sin, we're foregoing the sense of God's felt presence in our lives. And that's part, just a part of what we mean by sin separates. Sin separates us from God. But there is another reason why we don't feel the presence of God, and that's what we're talking about today. And it's found in that description from the psalmist in Psalm 42, and maybe you can identify with it today. Psalm 42, one says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Now, this psalm was actually an inspiration for a great song in the 80s. 1984, I think it was. You know it? As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship thee. You alone. I'm just gonna, we're not, we're not going to do that, although I'm really hoping we sing that at the end of the service. It's a great song. I love that song. But actually, that song led people to kind of misread the psalm. Like, that's not what's really happening here. So what we say is, oh, God, I thirst for you. Oh, God, I long for you. Oh, God, I want to be with our desire. And that's a great thing. We should be saying that. We should pray that. I believe that desire is a good thing. But that's not quite what the imagery is in the psalm. This psalm, the imagery is of a deer in a desert, and he's dying of thirst. Like, he comes to the river to get a drink, but it's dry. It's just bone dry. There is nothing there. And so in the psalm, thirst is a bad thing. It's not good. It's something that we don't want. And so here's, here's what I want you all to understand today, is that we will all at some point have Psalm 42 seasons in our lives. Everybody is going to have Psalm 42 season. And if you haven't had one, and that's probably rare in the room, if you haven't had one, you probably will. Where we feel like you're living in a desert. I'm out in the wilderness and it's full time. This is my home now. This is where I live. I don't see 
any reprieve coming, this is all there is. Where you thirst for God and you desire the felt presence of God. But when you go to the river, when you come to church, when you open up the scriptures, when you go to prayer, when you show up at group or at a catalyst retreat, it is bone dry. There's just nothing there. And we feel far more God's absence than we feel his presence. But like the psalmist said, we do remember past seasons. Right? In verse, in verse 4, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. I remember when I went to church and this thing happened. I remember when I opened up the scriptures and God spoke directly to me to help me. I remember when I went to group and, oh, those dudes were so helpful for me. I remember when I went to Catalyst and I was overwhelmed by God and I was set free from a bunch of stuff. It was an amazing experience. But now, I don't feel anything. Now I just feel like I'm far away. I'm distant from God. And if I'm honest, I think I'm losing it. And I just feel overwhelmed. In verse 6, he says, from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, the original audience in the psalm, they would have known Israel's geography, and that's as far away as you can get from the temple of God where God's presence dwelt. He's saying, as far away as you can get from God's presence and still be an Israelite, that's how I feel. And for some of you, that's exactly how you feel. In verse 6, he says, my soul is downcast within me. You're sad. And you feel anxious. In verse 5, why so disturbed within me? And you feel like God has forsaken you. And twice the psalmist says in the passage. And in verse 9, why have you forgotten me? And those inward and even some of the outward voices in your life, they keep saying to you, verse 3, where is your God? In other words, this whole faith thing, this whole Christian, this, this, this feels like a colossal waste of my time. What if I told you it might be that God has you right where he wants you? That God's got you right where he wants you, and that this could be one of the best and most important seasons in your journey with Jesus. It's true. It might be true. And this is a stage that a lot of us who, who are on the journey with Jesus, we take, it, we take it seriously. We may travel through this at some point in our lives. And so probably in the room, either you've been through it, you're smack dab in the middle of it, or it's coming eventually. So what exactly are we talking about with the dark night of the soul? Well, basically, it is a season. And, and I just want you to know that it's a season. It's going to change. It's a season in your journey with God where he intentionally removes the felt sense of his presence. I don't mean the actual presence of God. The promise in the scriptures is he will never leave. He will never forsake you. That's not going to happen. But, but what he, his, 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 not his actual presence that's gone. It's his felt sense, the experienced sense of his presence. So in this desert, God may be doing this in your life in order to do a work of purging, a work of preparation for you so that you can experience greater levels of intimacy, greater levels of joy, greater levels of peace and power and passion in your relationship with God greater depths of love in your life, but you do not feel like that today. So when you're in this dark night of the soul, in the wilderness, it's, it's as much of an unlearning experience as it is a learning experience. 
where God is removing things and God is placing things in our lives. And I do think, everybody, it's hard to describe. And it's hard to describe because it's dark. Like, hence the name, Dark Night of the Soul. I, I was reading a, a pastor friend of mine. He posted this past week, and he said, you know, when you take a photograph, take a shot, and then you take it where? Into the dark room. You take the film to the dark room to expose it, right, to, to develop it. And that was what he said. Dark rooms are for developing. Dark rooms are for developing, and that's kind of what we're talking about here. Into the dark room to develop what he wants to do in your life. So it's kind of like trying to describe this new landscape, this beautiful thing that's coming while you're in the dead of night. You can't see it, you can't comprehend it until the moment the sun comes up. Which means that if you're in the dark night of the soul, things are not always as they seem and you need to know that. In fact, oftentimes they're the exact opposite of what your internal emotional, uh, your internal emotional sense is. And so I want to try to give you four examples of this. For examples of what you might be feeling in the dark night, but the reality is God's up to something else. So in the dark night, it feels kind of like we're losing God's presence. It just feels like this is over, I'm alone, I've lost him, he's gone. But the reality is, is that God is working to deepen our intimacy with him. He's working to deepen our intimacy. So we're feeling like we're farther, farther we're not closer, but that's often because early on in our experience with God, we equate our feelings with God, with God himself. We equate how we feel when God is moving with God himself, when in reality, your feelings aren't much more than just the response to whatever God is doing in your heart. And this is why a lot of people get stuck in spiritual immaturity. They get stuck here because they think they're worshiping God. But sometimes we're just kind of worshiping the feelings that we get when we think God shows up. So if it feels good, oh, that's God. That's good, he's moving, but if, it feels, if anything feels bad, oh, this is hard, that can't be God. You see the problem. So, so to mature us, God wants to teach us to walk by faith and not by feelings. So 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, for we walk by faith, not by our sight. 2 Corinthians 4, 18 says, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, because what is seen is all temporary, but what is unseen, that stuff's eternal. And so what's the best way to get us there? Well, withdraw those feelings for a season and see what we do. Do we run back to our old sin patterns to help ourselves feel better because we're missing something? Do we run back to the world and the old stuff that we used to do because I need to fill this thing in my life? Or do we just stay in it? Trusting in God hoping, believing, regardless of our feelings. When Maria and I were dating about 20 years ago, it was awesome. We could talk to each other all the time. And we just kept talking, and kept talking, kept, just anytime we talked. I would look forward to the moments where I could get on the phone and I could call her up and we could just talk some more. Stop it. <laughs> so so we, we actually, uh, when I first asked her out, see at the time we were in college and she was dating this other guy. Terrible decision, and so, and so, and so, she she my roommate was a great help to me because my roommate he would check on her from time to time because he knew I had my eye on her, and so he'd run up and he'd say, hey, are you uh, are you still dating that guy? And she'd say, yeah, we're dating. And he'd say, oh, okay, and he'd come back and give me the report, right? <laughs> so he went just planting seeds, planting seeds. So you guys taking notes? Okay, so, so, so then. So then one day he came back to the dorms, he slammed the door, and he said, dude, they broke up. And I said, oh, this is it. 
And so, so, you know, but that's hard when you have a breakup. So there's a grieving period. So I let her grieve for an hour and I called her up. <laughs> and I said, hey, you want to go out? And she said, sure. And so we went to the zoo. I looked at all the animals. I know. We went to, we went to, we went to uh, a nice Italian dinner. We went to this park where I knew there's a bunch of fireflies. It's very romantic. They didn't show up. It was a disaster, but whatever. <laughs> but the point is, is that we talked all night long. Like we just, there was never a dull moment. We just talked and talked and shared, and it was awesome. And I was so excited about it. Now we've been married for 20 years, and you know what? We sometimes run out of things to say. Actually, she runs out of things to say. I seem to have plenty of words. I'm not sure how that, <laughs> sure that, that works. But, but we do run out of words to say, and so we just sit together. We watch Netflix together sometimes. We might just make a grocery list together. And we still have feelings for... <laughs> I know we're the best. Uh, <laughs> we still have feelings, deep feelings for each other. But now, they're not based on emotional highs and lows. And so... Now the level of vulnerability that we have and the level of intimacy we have, it's so much deeper than it was 20 years ago. And now we know the worst things about each other and we're still in it. And we're still in it together and we still love one another. It's different, but deeper. It's a different, but deeper relationship. And that's what's going on. And so in the same way, even though it doesn't feel like it, in this dark night, God is actually deepening our relationship with him. He's helping us. In fact, it might be one of the main things that God is teaching you, that your feelings are not always an accurate barometer for your reality. Second thing you might feel if you're going into the dark night, it feels like we're just losing our faith. But the reality is God is refining your faith. It feels like you're losing it, but God is refining you. In the same way that we confuse our feelings of God with God, sometimes we confuse our ideas about God with God. All of us have ideas about God that are right and true. All of us also have ideas about God that are not right, not true. The classic example is you had an, a hard experience with an abusive father. And so you take that mentality and you overlap that on who God is in your mind. And it's not true. That's not the reality of who he really is. And so what the dark night of the soul does, it's a time of stripping, it's a time of refining us down, and not just our feelings, but also our ideas about God and who he is. But the end goal of the dark night of the soul, it's not just a correct doctrine. That's not what God is after. The end goal is a heart posture of trust in God himself. Not in our feelings or ideas or our ideology about God, but in the one true God an intimacy with him and who he really is. That's what he's after. Third thing, if you're in the dark night of the soul, it feels like we're regressing in spiritual maturity. I'm just moving backwards. But in reality, we're progressing in spiritual maturity. You are moving forward. There's something about this dark night that just causes us to become aware of who we really are. The good that's in there, the bad that's in there, the ugly's in there, because there's not a lot of other stuff going on. And so before, you may have been aware of some of your behaviors, what you're doing in life, but now we start to become hyper-aware of the motivations behind our behavior. Essentially what happens is it's kind of like the filter gets removed. So there's no Instagram filter anymore. There's no Visco filter anymore. It's just gone. It's, it's away, and now you're seeing yourself exactly as you really are, and you're like, oh, Lord, have mercy. That's what I look like? That's who I really am? 
So what if God is graciously taking us through a period where he's exposing our sin, showing us who we are so we can see how empty we are apart from him. And then we realize, oh, I, I can't save myself. I can't do this by myself. I need him. So much of what the dark night of the soul is about, it's a burning away of the things in our lives that are limiting us to keep us from walking in the full purpose that God has for us. And it's creating, he's creating a greater capacity for you to become the person that he's always destined for you to be. The dark night of the soul is kind of God's way of saying, hey, let's get ready. There's another step in the journey, and I got some things I want to prepare in you so that you can get there. The fourth thing that you might sense in the dark night of the soul is you might feel just, honestly, sadness and anxiety. This just feels bad. But the reality is, God is setting us free from our attachments and our anxieties. He's working so that we can actually live in more of his joy and peace and life. I think one of the hardest things that we all have to do in our journey with God is we got re- to realize that we've got to lose this illusion of control that we all seem to carry around with us, to let go of all of our attachments. And what I mean by that is the stuff that you think you need to live a happy life. The stuff you think you need to live fulfilled. Jesus' longest teaching recorded in the scriptures is called the Sermon on the Mount. And we see it in Matthew. And it's made up of about four teachings, the longest being in chapter 6. And it's all about how to live a a non-anxious life. How to be a person settled in peace. And so in it, Jesus ties our anxieties to our attachments. Or in his language, our worry to what we worship. He ties our worry to what we worship. In Matthew 6, 24, he says, you can't serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. See, they're they're closely connected. Gerald May, he's an American psychologist, and he's a theologian. He kind of defines the dark night of the soul like this. It's an ongoing spiritual process in which we are liberated from attachments and compulsions and empowered to live and to love more freely. There's something about the dark night of the soul where you just kind of, you start to lose control. And that's where this deep work of freedom happens in you. And by losing control, I mean you start to lose control of the formulas that you've been using to connect with God. The formulas that you've been using to experience God, they start to break down. You know, it's just so easy to formulize how we do this. Well, if I read the Bible for this long, then God does this. If I'll pray like this with this posture for this amount of time, now God will come and show up in my life. I know it seems silly, but that is the kind of stuff that we lean into. If I do this, God will do this. And then we get stuck in it, and we think that's the only way we're going to experience God. So if I can just crack the right formula, then I'm going to get the miracle that I'm looking for. If I can crack this, I'm going to get the relationship with God that I always wanted. It doesn't work that way. Something happens in the dark night where you do all the right stuff, but it doesn't produce. It doesn't produce what you want it to produce. It's not working. And so we start to realize, okay, I'm actually not in control of this relationship with God. That's not a bad place to be. I'm not in control of this. We're not in control of our own spiritual formation. We can't save ourselves, and we can't manipulate God or force God to give us the life that we want. And so you just kind of start to let go. And at first, oh, that feels bad. It's full of anxiety and worry. It's extremely difficult, but it becomes an incredibly liberating experience. And it creates this calming and peaceful depth to your soul. Think about it. 
Do you know somebody like this? Like, have you ever sat down to coffee with someone who's older, wiser? They've kind of lived the life. They've been on the long haul with Jesus. They've been through some dark nights of the soul. And as you sit there, there's just this settledness. There's this peace. There's this calm. There's this joy. There's this life that's in them no matter what the circumstances they're facing. They've made it. It's not perfect. But this is what we're in search of. This is what we want. If you don't hear anything else today, I just want you to hear this. You're not alone. You're not alone in the fight. You're not alone in the struggle. You're not alone in the dark night. And you don't have to hide. You don't have to pretend. You can show up at one chapel and say, I didn't realize it, but I think that's me. I don't know God's presence. I don't feel it. I don't, and, I, and I thought I was an idiot, and I thought I was lost. And I do think you have to kind of go through the checklist. You kind of got to go, okay, so uh, am I in sin? Is there unconfessed sin in my life? Am I just too busy? Am I just hurrying? We've all got to do some of that evaluation. But if you do that and you still say, I don't know why, you might just be in the dark night of the soul. And the encouraging thing about that is you have hope because it means God is working. And that it's not going to last forever. And that there is a day where the sun is going to rise again and you are going to be stronger and better and more fulfilled, living with more passion and more power than you ever have in your life. It's very possible that God is at work to grow and mature you and give you greater freedom and love and peace. And your role is to just cooperate. You just have to cooperate. Why don't you guys come back on up and we're gonna, we're gonna go back into worship here for a few minutes. <laughs> Some of you, if you're experiencing the dark night, you're like, whoa, wait, wait, wait a minute. Are we done? Are we done? Because you didn't help me. You didn't help me. <laughs> that was hopeful, but you didn't help me. <laughs> if, you're, if you're sitting in the wilderness, if you're in the desert, I don't know that I can actually help you. There's no... A, B, C. There's no steps one, two, three. We just got done, I just got done yelling at you about our formulas, so that's not the way this works. But I do think there's some things that you can do. But I can tell you, it's a season, and you can't rush it. Like, you can't, that's what we want. Well, Brent, stop it. Just tell me, do steps one, two, and three, and then I'll be done. I feel good now. I'm not in the dark night anymore. It just doesn't work that way because it's a process by which you have to be refined and worked on. And so it just takes time. And there's, there's no, we don't know when the end is. And that's why you just have to sit in it and stay in it. But I think there are a few things you can do on the journey. One thing I think you should do is just rest. Wait patiently. And this is important. Don't try harder. Because the problem... The reason you're in the dark night, it's not because of your laziness. If you're truly in the dark night, the problem is not your laziness. God's at work in you. But what we want to do is we want to up the spiritual disciplines. Okay, well, I'm not reading the Bible enough. i got to read the Bible for five hours a day, and if I'll do that, oh, formula, stop it. Now, should you read the Bible? Yes. Very helpful, and you should do it every day. Pastor Ross sometimes talks about this thing. What does he call it? Oh, the one-year Bible reading. Okay, so you're sick of the joke too. All right, so. (laughs) 
getting a little loose here in the second service. <laughs> Don't try to do more. That's not the answer. Doing more is not the answer. If that's what you heard today, you got the wrong thing. You're leaning into God. You're leaning into faith and trust. You're leaning into hope. Don't overdo it. Instead, rest. Rest. Sabbath. Take a nap. A long one. Do it often. Sleep. Rest. Trust in God. Be still and know that He's God, the one true God. Not the one that you imagine in your mind. Second thing I think maybe might be helpful to you if you're in the dark night. Don't doubt in the desert what God said to you in the river. Does that make sense? Don't doubt in the desert, in the wilderness that you're going through. Don't doubt what he said to you in the river. The psalmist said, but I remember, I remember when. I remember when this happened. I remember that word from God. I remembered that thing. I remember what he did. I remember the miracle. That's great. Remember all those. And if that's all you got right now, grab a hold and don't let go. I remember that thing and it was real. God was real, and he really did this in my life. And even though I don't feel it today, I know he's still working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Jesus, he gets baptized by John, and then what happens? The Holy Spirit sends him into the desert. Oh, he does that? Hmm. Sends him into the desert, and the enemy tries to get him to doubt what God said about him. And the enemy is still trying to get you to question what God has said about you and what, what you believe about the Scriptures and what you think about coming and showing up at church, whether or not God is true or not, and he's trying to sow seeds of doubt into your life. And a lot of people right here in the dark night, they lose their faith because they don't stay. I've talked to them, I know. I've had the conversations with them. So live on a password from God. Live on something. Just like the psalmist said, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And the third and final thing is, just live in community. I mean, if you've been at one chapel for more than five minutes, you've had to have heard this. Live in community. Why? It's so important because this is the conduit that ministry flows through. This is how God works. So get in community. Be in a group. Be in catalyst. Like jump in and be a part because the enemy's, the enemy's plan for you is to isolate you, to get you out on your own or at least to get you to go inward in your own thinking and never share your thoughts and never share your fears and never share your worries and anxieties. Oh, this is church. They don't want to hear about that. Stop it. Yes, we do. You may have had that experience before, but you don't have to have that experience here. You can talk about it. You can share it with no fear of judgment Worry about whether or not people are going to think you're a good Christian or not. So find a community and rely on somebody else's faith. Rely on somebody else's fidelity. Rely on somebody else who's in it and loving God. A lot of people, we go, well, I just, I don't, I don't feel it, so I'm just going to avoid church. But don't worry, it's okay. I'll listen to the podcast. Podcasts aren't the body of Christ. I love podcasts too. I listen to them every week. But it's not the body. And we think that's enough. Well, I listen to my favorite preacher, and so I'm good. No, you're not. You're miserable. You know it's going to help? Be a part of the body. Come participate. Come share. Come share your life. The reality is there's people here that need you, too. Okay, you're getting convinced. Just choose community. Here as we close, I just want to read an excerpt from this, uh, this, <laughs> this book. I don't know if you've read it. It's called The Screwtape Letters. It's by C.S. Lewis. It's brilliant. And if you haven't read it, it's a satire where this senior demon, his name is, uh, what's his name? A screw tape. Yeah, screw tape. Uh, 
Screw tape, he's talking to a lesser demon, an apprentice demon named Wormwood. And they're talking and corresponding in letters, and they're writing about how to trip us up. And they call us the creatures, and they call God the enemy. And here's what C.S. Lewis writes. Sooner or later, he, it's God, sooner or later he withdraws. If not in fact, at least from their conscious experience. All those supports and incentives. He leaves the creature, that's you and me, to stand up on its own legs, to carry out from the will alone duties which have lost all relish. It is during such trough periods, much more than during the peak periods, that it is growing into the sort of creature he wants it to be. Hence the prayers offered in the state of dryness are those which please him best. He, that's God, cannot tempt to virtue as we do to vice. He wants them to learn to walk and must therefore take away his hand. And if only the will to walk is really there, he is pleased even with their stumbles. Do not be deceived, Wormwood. Our cause is never more in danger than when a human, no longer desiring, but still intending to do our enemy's will, looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken and still obeys. I'm just telling you, if you're in the dark night of the soul, that's for you. Just keep obeying. Why don't you bow your heads, close your eyes. We're going to run back into worship here for a minute. But I just want to pray for you as we do. Across the room here, if you feel like, ha, I didn't know it, but I think that's me. I'm in the dark night. Why don't you just stretch your hands out as a sign of hopeful surrender. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the provision that you've given us. We have everything that we need for life and godliness, but sometimes it does not feel that way. So today, we as your body, we are turning to you with hope and faith that you are actually on the move even though we were about to give up. You're on the move. So for those of us who are hope-filled and drinking deep of the river, thank you for that. God, would you pour out more of your life and spirit into our lives and give us more hunger and desire to run after you. But for those of, those of us today who are in the dark, I pray for courage. I pray for peace. I pray for hope to rise in the darkness. And I pray for patience to wait. And that today you would reinstill hope for the journey. And so we submit humbly to your plan and purpose and everything that you want to do. We say yes to you in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, you can learn about groups, teams, and more at onechapel.com welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're always invited to services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11. See you next time.